Hello and welcome to the Black Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle. How are you doing today? I'm doing better. Uh, this past week I have been sick. No, not with the COVID, but I had my own little ear infection thing, which has uh, been driving me a little bit crazy. Um, so I had that and then uh, $319 for medication to get it well. And, uh, well, I'm still clogged. My ear's still clogged. It's kind of weird. It gets unclogged. It pops, and then it doesn't pop, and then it pops, and then it unpops. So I'm just tired of sitting on the sidelines and wanted to get back into uh, my little routine. So I'm here uh, to talk about the news of the day because even though I was down, I was not out. Not out by a long shot. So. News of the day is Kyle Rittenhouse, as you well know, closing arguments happened yesterday. Um, I, in my limited legal knowledge, uh, will confidently go out on the limb and say that he most likely will be found not guilty. Um, This is going to be a very interesting uh, thing, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens after the verdict because there are threats, of course, about burning the place down if, if Kyle Rittenhouse is not convicted. Um, and I just find it particularly interesting how the mainstream media keeps smearing this young man as a white supremacist, uh, racist, uh, Trump-toting, gun-toting, Trump-loving person who came out here uh, who came out uh, that night with the sole intent of killing him some black people, even though no black people were actually harmed during the shooting of these rioters. You know, three of the people, three people who were shot, all of them were white. Everybody involved in the situation were white people. But cons- consistently, the mainstream media keeps smearing um, Rittenhouse as this white supremacist, you know, oh, you see, it's white supremacist. See, he killed people. And they're not saying that the people or the, the victims or, you know, people who were shot were were white. They're not even saying that. They're just kind of suggesting that he was out there to shoot black people. So, you know, mainstream media, you know. But given what Kyle Rittenhouse has been through, I am glad to see that he has been overcoming some of the um, the obstacles that have been before him, you know, gun, he was raising money on GoFundMe, and GoFundMe uh, shut down his his uh, his fundraiser, you know, because of the politics. Uh, it's just crazy. It's just absolutely positively crazy as to what is going on here. Uh, the truth is not out there, folks. It is not out there among mainstream media. Also, we're going to talk about uh, our favorite vice president, well, whom I like to call the token vice president, or um, what, do you, what do you call uh, the trophy the trophy vice president, um, Kamala Harris, and how, uh, well, I was, you know, uh, talking, not talking with, but watching uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, the Black Conservative Perspective, and um, he made some very salient points about uh, 
uh, Kamala Harris. And I like to build on those a little bit because um, although he had some good points, I also want to add a little bit to that and, and maybe have you know a non-discussion about it. And uh, hopefully we'll have some fun things to talk about. Uh, uh, maybe news of the day. We'll roam around and see what's up on uh, the news and catch up on what's happening in today's news. But first, uh, you know, I already discussed Kyle Rittenhouse and what is going on with that and the closing arguments and how I feel confident in um, him possibly being, um, quite possibly being found not guilty. But we also should be discussing the Aubrey case because the Aubrey case is also a case uh, that has happened uh, uh, right around the same time as Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, it is uh, something that has uh, some racial overtones to it and um, Interestingly enough, mainstream media is not discussing this case nearly as much as um, uh, they are discussing Kyle Rittenhouse. And the question is always, that why are they discussing Kyle Rittenhouse's case more? It's because I believe that Kyle Rittenhouse, um, that case is a more political case. It is a political agenda here, you know, that was during uh, the... the, uh, the the shooting or the or the the incident occurred during the Black Lives Matter protest, and you know that everybody and everyone uh, is woke now, or so it seems. And um, this is an opportunity, I think. Uh, the jackals of mainstream media want to see Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, this this young man whom they've smeared as a white supremacist, a Trump supporter a gun-toting, uh, uh, you know, conservative uh, who deserves everything that he gets, uh, they want to see him uh, suffer. They want to see uh, him go to jail. They want to see him prosecuted. They want to see him, the books thrown at this young man. And uh, the key word here being Trump supporter. So... Uh, I believe Kyle Rittenhouse's case is more political than uh, the Aubrey case, which uh, uh, is not as political. It's more personal. So we're just going to start out here. I'm going to we're going to talk about the Aubrey case, uh, what we know about the shooting death of Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, Mr. Aubrey, a 25-year-old black man, was chased by armed white residents of a South Georgia neighborhood. They are now facing trial for murder charges. Now, um, I'm going to read the article, and then we're going to talk about uh, the the um, what's going on in the trial and the updates, therefore. And, you know, then, you know, find out how this differs from the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and uh, see what you think about it, okay? So it says here, the three white Georgia men stand 
accused of murdering Ahmad Aubrey, a 25-year-old unarmed black man, after suspecting him of committing a series of break-ins in their neighborhood outside of the coastal city of Brunswick in South Georgia. Opening statements in the trial of the three men, Gregory McMichael, 65, his son, 35-year-old Travis McMichael, and their neighbor, William Bryan, 52, began in early November. It is one of the most closely watched trials with civil rights overtones in the United States, overtones in the United States since the murder conviction of Derek Chauvin. The former Minneapolis police officer who knelt on the neck of black man George Floyd for roughly nine minutes. The video of that killing created an international uproar and raised serious questions about the treatment of minorities at the hands of the police. The slaying of Mr. Arbery was also captured on a videotape that was widely viewed by the public. And the trial of these of his accused killers will also bring up issues of policing. Although in this case, it will involve questions about private citizens and their rights to detain people who they believe to be breaking the law. Well, I don't know uh, if you should allow, like, I have a question about that because do, do we allow someone to break into somebody's house or to assault somebody? Um, you know, are we not to call out, you know, are we allowed to, are we supposed to allow people to just cause damage nilly-willy? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the prosecutor in Kyle Rittenhouse's case said very, something very bizarre and almost laughable to me. He said um, uh, about Kyle Rittenhouse, he said, just because you bought a gun, you know, you, you bought a gun, you don't get to say that you have self-defense if you're the person who bought the gun. And I just thought, well, that's really kind of silly. And then I think he was cross-examining Kyle Rittenhouse. And then he says something about, um, um, yeah, yeah, so the guy, the one of the, one of the people who were shot pulled a gun on you. But he didn't shoot you yet, right? And I'm thinking, well, how absurd is that? So you're supposed to wait for the guy to shoot you and possibly kill you before you can actually defend yourself? Like, how absurd is that and I think the same question um, maybe in a different way is being asked in this case these men suspected that uh, uh, Mr. Aubrey was uh, breaking the law or breaking into houses and they chased him down hmm. were, were they supposed to then not you know, if they saw him breaking into a house, is, are they supposed to say to not say anything to him or just, you know, let him get away or let him go off and, and continue to break the law? I don't know. That's a question. Those rights in Georgia were spelled out in a controversial Civil War era statute that was significantly weakened by the state lawmakers in direct response to the outrage over Aubrey killing. Lawmakers also passed Georgia's first hate crimes law as a result of the shooting. All of that sets up a remarkable kind of trial in which the defendants will claim they are not guilty based in part on an old law that their 
actions help to dismantle. At the same time, they will not be charged under the new Georgia hate crimes law, though all three have also been indicted under the federal hate crime statute. For the state murder charges alone, all three men who have been detained by Glen County, Georgia jail for more than a year face possible life sentences. Uh, called Satella and okay, so for people who don't know, and I'm just talking off the cuff here, uh, Mr. Aubrey was a former high school football standout, was living with his mother outside the small city of Brunswick. He spent a little time in college, but seemed to be in a period of drift in his 20s, testing out various careers, working on his rapping skills and living with his mother. He suffered from a mental illness that caused him to have auditory hallucinations. He was shot dead in a suburban neighborhood called Satella Shores. Crimson's family said he liked to stay in good shape, and he was an avid jogger who was often seen running around his neighborhood. On Sunday, February 23, 2020, shortly after 1 p.m., he was killed in that neighborhood after being confronted by a white man and his son. He was killed by running near his home. Uh... Looked like a man suspected in several break-ins in the area and called to Travis McMichael, his son. According to the police report, the men grabbed a 3.57 Magnum handgun and shotgun, got into a pickup truck and chased Mr. Aubrey, trying unsuccessfully to cuff him or cut him off. A third man also involved in the pursuit, according to the report and other documents. In the recording of the 911, which appears to have been made moments before the chase began, a neighbor told a dispatcher that a black man was inside a house that was under construction on Frank Michael's block. Now, I don't know. Uh, what is he doing inside of a house that is under construction? You may ask. I don't think there's anything much to rob in a house under construction, but uh, again, I may be proving my innocence, my, my ignorance here, not my innocence, my ignorance here. During the chase, McMonagall yelled, stop, stop, we want to talk to you, according to Gregory McMichael's account in the police report. They then pulled up to Mr. Arbery and Travis McMichael got out of the truck with the shotgun. Gregory McMichael stated that the unidentified male began to violently attack Travis and the two men then started fighting over the shotgun, at which point Travis fired a shot and then a second later there was a second shot. The police report and other documents do not indicate that Mr. Aubrey was armed. Gregory McMichael is a former Glenn County police officer and a former investigator with a local district attorney's office. Shortly after the shooting, the prosecutor for the Brunswick Judicial Circuit, Jackie Johnson, rescued, recused herself because Gregory McMichael had worked in her office. The case was sent to George E. Barnhill, a district attorney in Waycross, Georgia, who later recused himself from the case after Mr. Aubrey's mother argued that he had a he had a conflict because his son also worked for the Brunswick district attorney. But before he relinquished the case, Mr. Barnhill wrote a letter to Glenn County Police Department. In the letter, he argued that there was not sufficient probable cause to arrest Mr. Aubrey's pursuers. Mr. Barnhill noted that the McMichaels were legally carrying their firearms under Georgia's open carry law. He said that they had been within their rights to pursue what he called a burglary, a burglary 
suspect. As cited a law, state law that says a private citizen may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. And this is why I have no, I don't, I have a question. If they saw something, and, you know, they saw him maybe coming out of a house or coming out of a, a situation, a situation where he might not, he obviously, probably, most likely did not belong. Do you then sit there and, and you know, dial 911 or whatever are, are you allowed to pursue? And, of course, the Georgia law says they are per allowed to pursue. There is a such thing in this life as a citizen's arrest. You may make one. Um. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know how it goes oh, from state to state, but I know that there's a thing as a citizen's arrest. I watch people make citizen's arrest on several occasions. So, um, I don't know. They did have a right to pursue Mr. Aubrey. Mr. Aubrey, you know, might have been caught doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing. This is totally um, off the cuff. He was, you know, he's you know, caught coming out of a house, caught going into a house. You know, there's some break-ins. Uh, the, the, the circumstances are confluence. He might not have been the burglar, but he was certainly doing some things that were questionable. Does this have to do with him being black? I don't think so. I think if someone saw anybody who was uh, doing something that was untoward, they would have questions. Um, Mr. Barnhill also argued that if Mr. Aubrey attacked Travis McMichael, Mr. Michael was, quote, allowed to use deadly force to protect himself under Georgia law. Anger over the killing and the lack of consequences for the McMichaels grew when a graphic video surfaced showing the shooting on a suburban roof. The video shows a struggle before three chuck gun blasts shotgun blast. Cell phone video shot by Mr. Bryan is about a half minute long. It shows Mr. Aubrey running along a shaded two-lane residential road when he comes upon a white truck with Travis McMichael standing beside its open driver's door with a shotgun. Greg McMichael, his father, is in the bed of the pickup with a handgun. Mr. Aubrey runs around the truck and disappears briefly from view. Muffled shouting can be before Mr. Arbery emerges fighting Travis McMichael outside the truck with three shotgun blasts echo. Mr. Arbery tries to run but staggers and falls to the pavement after a few steps. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution published another video that shows a man walking into a house under construction in the neighborhood and eventually running out of it. S. Lee Merritt a lawyer for Mr. Aubrey's family said in a statement that the second video, which appeared to be from a home surveillance camera, is consistent with the evidence already known to us. Ahmaud Aubrey was out, was out for a job, Mr. Merritt said. He stopped by a property under construction where he engaged in no illegal activity and remained for only a brief period. Ahmaud did not take anything from the construction site. Well, I mean, like I said, the confluence of circumstances. Maybe he didn't take it. Maybe he's not the burglar. But under the circumstances, people have been under this, you know, uh, 
under pressure that there were some burglaries in their neighborhood. They see a man who was coming out of a place in which he has no right to be on. Uh, you know, construction sites can be very dangerous ones, not just, you know, because of uh, possible thievery, but, you know, they can be dangerous in and of themselves. And, you know, that's something to definitely uh, be aware of. So, um, in in April 7, 2020, email to the office of Chris Carr, the Georgia Attorney General, Mr. Barnhill, the prosecutor, said that his office had video of Aubrey burglarizing a home immediately preceding the chase and confrontation. But Mr. Merritt said in his statement that no felony had been committed by Mr. Aubrey when he was on the property. In December, the Atlanta news station, WSB, obtained police body camera footage that when officers first arrived on February 23rd, including conversations they had immediately after the incident. The conversations show that many officers on the scene knew of Gregory McMichael's background. In September, Mr. Johnson, who had been voted out of her job, excuse me, Ms. Johnson, has been voted out of her job as chief prosecutor for the area, was indicted on a charge of violating her oath by showing favor and affection to Gregory McMichael and a former investigator in her office, and on a charge of obstruction for telling two police officers on the day of the shooting not to arrest Travis McMichael. Garbury's defenders believe he was probably jogging through the neighborhood for a workout. Mr. Jay Moore, an Atlanta lawyer and former federal prosecutor, reviewed Mr. Barnhill's letter to the Glenn County Police as well as the initial police report. In an email, Mr. Moore called Mr. Barnhill's opinion flawed. In his interview, Mr. Moore said, uh, McMichaels appeared to be the aggressors, and such aggressors were not justified in using force under Georgia's self-defense laws. The law does not allow a group of people to form an unarmed posse, or excuse me, an armed posse, and chase down an unarmed person who they believe might have possibly been the perpetrator of a past crime, Mr. Moore wrote. The question of self-defense will be a central one in the murder trial, Travis McMichael's lawyers planned to argue that their client had no choice but to use force with Mr. Aubrey engaged with them in a fight. Some observers say that this argument, when paired with the old citizen's arrest law, may help win the acquittal of the three men. The victim also ran away from the threat, he said, before being cornered and shot to death, while desperately trying to disarm his assailant, cannot be the aggressor. It was Mr. Aubrey, he said, who was engaging in self-defense. There is no other way to see it, he said. Well, again, a confluence of circumstances. I believe the three men, hmm, just knowing what I know about the case and what I've heard about the case, you know, uh, does put some questions in my mind, um, considering that under those circumstances, black men were being uh, or persecuted or, or under the impression that they were being persecuted by white people. Um, the racial uh, atmosphere that was going on at the time. I could understand why Mr. Aubrey would run away from a group of white people who were coming at him with a truck. I understand that. 
perfectly. I mean, you know, we've all heard stories. And maybe he was afraid. You know, maybe he was afraid. And I can understand why the three men thought, this guy is a burglar. He's been doing something all the time. And, you know, we're not going to let him get away with it. You know, maybe somebody was, you know, traumatized. Maybe just a lot of uh, variables here. And then I can understand why Mr. Aubrey would then lunge at these men because they, they obviously had their guns out, okay? So they had their guns out. They are, you know, looking, everybody in the situation is, again, a confluence of circumstances. The Mr. Aubrey is looking like the burglar. Uh, he's looking suspicious in their eyes. And then Mr. Uh, the, the three men are looking like, you know, they're going to kill a black man today because they're, they're, they're come out. They're, they're armed. Um, and they have chased him down in, this, you know, in his mind. And so they're armed, and he's going to fight. So you have a total misunderstanding, and this is my opinion and my take on it, of the circumstances surrounding the whole issue. Now, you may ask, well, do, does, does the, the, um, and the three men have a right to shoot this young man? I don't know. I don't think they do. Um, Self-defense according to what I've read and according to the facts that I've seen, does not really justify this. Um, but there are some some questions. I mean, you know, the staying your ground question, the self-defense question, the citizen's arrest question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I see that, you know, this going to be made into a racial thing and clearly this is a misunderstanding in my opinion of a fortunate unfortunate situation in which two people were in these circumstances and there was you know there was um you know nothing there was nothing that could be done because you had people who just misunderstood the situation I know, I know, I know. I'm very unpopular right now, and people think, uh, rolling their eyes and saying, well, you obviously don't understand that, you know, this was racist, uh, racially intended, and, you know, and I don't believe that, though. I really don't believe that. I don't believe that every time white people do stupid things that they're racially motivated. Um, I don't believe that, but I do believe that there, as, as a, again, I keep using this phrase and I keep going back to this, is a confluence of circumstances which can cause unfortunate uh, things. Maybe they shouldn't have chased him. Maybe they should have just called the police. Um, but considering that Mr. McMichael was already the police, was an investigator and worked in uh, the district attorney's office, gave him a little more bravado than the average citizen who might have probably just call the police. So I understand how all of these circumstances could work together to create this tragedy. I really do. Because human beings are just that, human beings. Tell me what you think. Tell me how you feel. 
I'm going to take a quick little break and I'll be back with the second segment. We're going to be talking about dear old Kamala Harris and, uh, you know, how in God's name she got to be vice president in the first place, considering that nobody, nobody, like, was remotely interested in her and nobody really liked her. Stay tuned and I'll be right back. You are listening to the Black Eye Podcast. Hello and welcome to the second segment of the Black Eye Podcast. If you are with me this long, thank you. Thank you very much. In the previous segment, we were talking about Kyle Rittenhouse and um, Mr. Aubrey, the Aubrey case, and uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. And uh, I really didn't go in too much into the differences of the case. I did, I did discuss the case. I had some questions regarding Ahmaud Aubrey, and I um, stated that I believe Kyle Rittenhouse was going to be exonerated. Um, but I felt that the Ahmaud Aubrey case was a little more complicated because um, whether or not these three men had a right to chase Ahmad Aubrey and to engage him in in an altercation or discuss uh, anything with him regarding burglaries. Um, but the Georgia law at the time said that they did have a right to do that. They had a right to engage him and they had a right to uh, subdue him. And I felt that uh, given that Mr. McMichael, who was the shooter, one of the shooters, there were three of them, Mr. McMichael, Mr. McMichael's son, and a third person, um, Mr. McMichael was an investigator. So in, in essence, he was a cop. And maybe he felt a little more bravado to, to pursue Mr. Aubrey, whereas the average citizen may not have done, uh, may not have pursued Mr. Aubrey might have just called the police, um, considering that there uh, there was a police, uh, a, a woman called police regarding a man entering into a home or coming out of a home, and also regarding um, uh, uh, surveillance tape or uh, home home security tape showing Mr. Aubrey going into a construction site and looking over, you know, being in the construction site and not taking anything out of it. Which is not to say that he had any intent to rob the place. Maybe there was just nothing worthwhile to take on the site. But um, that being said, you know, uh, closing argument for Kyle Rittenhouse occurred yesterday. Um, I'm confident that he will be exonerated, as I said. And I think that... uh, the Aubrey case, and I, I, I droned on. So if I sound a little droning, I talked about I had a, still I have a kind of a plug in my ear, and it, you know, it, 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 it clicks and it non-clicks, and I can hear very well, I can't hear very well. Um, but, you know, forgive me if I sound a little drony or whatever, but I am trying to um, keep going, and hopefully it'll, my ear will clear out and get better. So we're moving on to the next subject, and the next subject today was our beloved, esteemed, and ever so uh, joyous Kamala Harris. Now I have questions about Kamala Harris because 
I remember when she was running for president, and um, she didn't. When she ran for president, and I guess they went to, I forgot where they go to, where they they get to the, um, you know, where they finally make the votes for the nomination. And she got zero votes. Like, she got none. Zero. People didn't like her. Like, the Americans looked at her and did not like her. She was very super aggressive with Joe Biden. Like, she called him names. She, you know, she said he was a racist. She, 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 she denigrated him. She put him down as old white. She practically put him in the Ku Klux Klan garb, you know, with the hood, the sheets, and riding on the horse with the fire and, and burning crosses on people's lawn. I mean, she had him down to rights. And I mean, it was legitimate in, in its way, but she had him down to rights. And so when Biden finally emerged as the uh, the nominee um, to run for president, um, he had this, you know, he was in his basement, and I guess whomever was in his basement with him was telling him that he needed a vice president, and somehow, in the wake of this thing, you know, he picked Kamala Harris. And when he picked Kamala Harris, I was confused, because Kamala Harris did not like him, and he did not like her. So I'm thinking to myself, why did he commit, uh, pick Kamala Harris? Of all the people in the world that you could have picked, he picked the person with zero likability quotient. Like, nobody liked her. She cackled. She didn't seem real or genuine. She seemed uh, fake, in my opinion. In fact, she was even a non-person, in my opinion. She didn't seem to have grasp of, of, of any of the issues. She just seemed kind of vain, in my opinion. And so I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. They, she, she's supposed to be a woman of color, and she is. Okay? You know, whether we think she's black. When we say people of color, we usually mean black Americans, you know, Americans of African descent, blah, 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 blah. She checked that box. And um, she, she, I guess she charmed people behind the scenes because she sure as heck didn't charm the American people. So here she is now. She's vice president, you know, Joe won, or whatever side of that you go fall on. He is now the president with his <laughs> 81 million votes. <laughs> Anywho. Didn't campaign or anything. Never was a visionary in his entire political life. But somehow, some way, he got 81 million votes. All right. Moving on. So, anyways, Kamala, this woman, uh, you know, with no likability quotient, no real depth, no real vision. I don't think she ever even discussed what her vision was for the country, where she saw things going. I don't even understand why she ran. Because as vice president, when you sit, when they sit down with her for an interview, she has absolutely nothing to say. Nothing. She is not a visionary in that way. She is not a strong personality in that way. She is not a person whom I would look at and say to myself, yes, I will follow you to the bottom of the stairs. I wouldn't follow her to the bottom of the stairs. I wouldn't follow her one step. Because I don't believe she's capable of leading. 
I don't believe she understands what that is. Now, I'm not this, you know, I don't know how you judge intelligence or anything like that, but I don't think she's really a, a, a mega mind, okay? Um, Joe Biden was never that, really. He had no real vision himself. So here we are, you know? She tries to be smart. She tries to, and I, when, I mean, when I say smart, I mean like, um, clever, and and she's not really clever. She's uh, antagonistic. She's um, she's not a person that I could take uh, seriously. She's very supercilious. She she's frivolous, you know. And I coined the phrase to nobody in particular that she's a trophy vice president <laughs> because she hits all the marks. She's a woman of color, you know. She held an office, uh, you know. She got her career by her boyfriend, you know, who was a married man, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. She, you know, I don't look at her and think, oh, yeah, this woman worked hard to get here. I, I look at this woman and I say, hmm, that's interesting, you know, because when she speaks, she does not speak from me from a place of, uh, you know, I've been sitting here thinking about this subject for a while, and I think we could solve these problems by X, Y, Z. She doesn't speak from that uh, intellectual or soul-searching kind of way. So, as I talked about, as I said in the previous segment, I came across a YouTube video by the Black, uh, black Conservative Perspective, who was um, reporting on what CNN was reporting, because I couldn't find the CNN clip for myself. So um, so I'm just going to play a little clip to that, and then I'm going to comment on what uh, Kamala Harris, Vice President Trophy, um, has to say. You know, I'm just going to start calling her Miss Trophy, because I don't think she is really the Vice President. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, play a little bit of my favorite uh, YouTuber, one of my favorite YouTubers, Black Conservative Perspective, and then we're going to just comment on Is in shambles, right? That Biden and Kamala got a beef, right? They beefing. They don't really like each other like that, right? Because, I mean, listen, what was the real reason that Biden picked Kamala as his running mate? Well, the reason is, is because um, she is a so-called woman of color. That's, that's it. That, that's the only reason. And the Democrat establishment told Biden that, hey, this is who you have to pick, even though she's not really qualified to be vice president. Now, normally... No, she's not. I don't think you have to be qualified to be vice president, but I think you do have to have something, you know. Um, you know, pretty much he's saying all the things that I've introduced the this segment with, and I've said in previous segments myself that I didn't think she was... Um, Vice president material or presidential material. Um, but uh, moving on, I'll let you finish. Oh, um, Biden and Kamala are now in office, and we've had numerous stories come out about how there is dysfunction in the White House, how Biden and Kamala ain't really feeling each other all that well. And we kind of see this manifest itself in the public, right? As Kamala has noticeably distanced herself from Biden. When they first got in the office, the two was tied at the hip, right? It was the Biden-Harris administration. At one point, people thought that Harris was actually running the White House. 
However, we, we've learned that that's not really. Well, yeah, we have learned that's really true. That's really not true. I never thought that Harris was running the White House. Um, personally, I never thought that this woman was capable of running the White House. Um, if you look at her record uh, uh, as district attorney, she never stood out as a person who, um, you know, made major changes and, and did things, you know, to, to help people in the community. She followed the rules. She followed the rules and was instrumental in the excessive uh, jailing and arrest of um, Black Americans in California. My daughter likes to call her the cop. She was the cop. And, you know, for her to, I guess, what is she, a senator or something? You know, to get into the Senate office, you know, tells you a little bit about what's going on with the diplomat, with the Democratic establishment. Case, and the actual case may be that somebody is controlling Biden, right? Because Biden's obviously a mindless puppet, but um, it's just not Kamala, right? Kamala's just kind of doing nothing, right? Kind of just out there, right? She's just kind of there. Um. And we have the mainstream liberal media, CNN, confirming things that I've basically been telling you guys for months now, which is, again, that the White House is dysfunctional and that there is definitely some relationship issues going on between Kamala and Biden. So I want you guys to actually watch CNN uh, report on this and think about all the times that we've already talked about this uh, in terms of what was going on. The accounts come from nearly three dozen current and former Harris AIDS administration officials, Democratic operatives, donors, and outside advisors who spoke to CNN about the complex reality inside the White House. On one side, members of Harris's inner circle who believe she's being sidelined and set up to fail instead of being positioned to be a future president. One former uh, high-level uh, Harris aide put it this way, we put this up on screen, they're consistently sending her out there on losing issues in the wrong situations for her skill set. CNN has also learned Harris has told confidants uh, she feels constrained in what she's able to do. The mood, apparently summed up by the satirical headline from The Onion, uh, goes like this, that Harris defenders sometimes pass around when they're feeling annoyed. Uh, White House urges Kamala Harris to sit at computer all day in case emails come through. Of course, it's not that bad inside the White House. But on the other side of things, you have West Wing staffers who say they're completely exasperated, throwing up their hands at what they perceive as some of Harris's awkward mistakes, including some uh, cringy answers on Israel and the border crisis. Sources tell CNN there's also the belief that Harris's staff has repeatedly failed her and left her exposed. I'm joined now by the journalist behind all of this reporting, CNN senior reporter Isaac Dever. Uh, Isaac, uh, great stuff as always from you. Uh, let's begin with what's going on uh, with Harris's office. What's with all the finger pointing behind the scenes? Uh, you know, as I was describing it to somebody, you know, this is what uh, political reporting was like when we were on Earth One right. before Donald Trump came along. Sometimes this goes on behind the scenes of administration, so it's not too surprising that it's happening. It goes on a lot in administrations. Most, uh, if you go back in time, way back in time, to JFK, JFK never liked Lyndon Johnson. And the only reason why he picked Lyndon Johnson to be his vice president is because Lyndon Johnson knew how to get things done. He knew how to knock heads about. He knew how to, to negotiate. He knew everyone in that Senate. He knew them. He knew them personally. He intimidated everyone equally. And Lyndon Johnson, if you needed somebody to push a bill through, Lyndon Johnson could do that. Obama, I don't think he cares very much about Joe Biden at all. 
In fact, he quote he's quoted as saying that you should never underestimate Joe's ability to up things up, to fuck things up. Um, so he doesn't really care for Joe Biden. I, my opinion was that Obama got Joe Biden to be vice president so they could shut him up. That that was my opinion, you know. That the only reason why he chose him because he did he couldn't stand the man. He really just couldn't. And um, as I said before, I watched Joe Biden's career. He was, you know, he was known basically for I don't know where they get this honest Joe crap from because he he plagiarized speeches. God knows he was mired in all kinds of iffy situations, what what they would call um, shady deals. So I, I don't know. Anyways. Uh, but very interesting. It does, but of course the particular situation here is that Kamala Harris is perceived as someone who is likely to be running for president in the future. Why is she perceived that way? She's run in the past. She's the incumbent vice president. Also, Joe Biden will be 82 years old in 2024. He says he's running for president uh, for re-election. Uh, there's no reason to take him, not take him at his word. But if that doesn't turn out to be the way that things go, she could be running for president in a year. Right. Uh, this could be, and and she could be on the ballot herself, if not as, as the presidential nominee, as Biden's running man again, needing to validate someone who will be saying to the country, "Keep me in power till I'm 86 years old." There's a lot of political weight on her for that. And then, of course, there's the historical weight. People who look to her as the, the first black, well, first woman in, in power in this position, the first woman of color in this position. And all of that, what goes into that and people wanting to see her really succeed and, and get out. Yeah. So first and foremost, I, I want to say I find it hilarious how Jim Costa can't do any segment, not, not any segment whatsoever without mentioning Trump. <laughs> OK, you notice how he's well, we all know that CNN needs Trump. You know, they're barely holding on to. I don't even know if they have ratings at this point. But CNN, you know, they have to tie everything to Trump. Uh, you know, uh, there's rain happening over in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Seattle. Well, you know, Trump was interfering with that rain. You know, this is CNN, and this is what they do. This is how they, uh, you know, try to hang on to their most trusted name and news moniker, even though nobody, not even their base, trusts them to uh, do or say anything uh, that is remotely true. But this this particular uh, uh, piece was very interesting. Oh, right, so, you know, guys, don't be, you know, too surprised that this is happening under Biden Kamala, but it ain't like Trump, right? That's essentially what he's trying to say, okay? I, I, I just find it interesting how... The man can't keep Trump's, you know what, out of his mouth. Okay, true, true. He, true. he can't keep Trump's name out of his yeah, mouth. Among other things, right? yeah. That's, what, that, that's what's going on here. But um, to me, now that mainstream media is confirming what I've basically been telling you guys for months, um, if you just read about all the reporting in regards to the, not only just the dysfunction between uh, Kamala and Joe in regards to rumors, but also dysfunction within Kamala's own staff, right? Remember that was Again, going back to how we feel about Kamala, Kamala is not qualified to do this job. I believe, in my opinion, that this job is much bigger than Kamala could possibly handle. She wasn't ready. I don't even know why she thought she should run for president. I mean, other than she had this enormous ego and she thought that she could, you know, possibly win. Um, again, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, 
what CNN is, you know, they're talking about how uh, Kamala Harris, uh, her staff is, you know, her, 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 her house is out of order. Of course it's out of order. Of course it's out of order. She has no real uh, world experience on how to organize and deal with things. Again, uh, they were talking about in, in, in his article here that um, they purposely put Kamala on, on, uh, on situations like the border and uh, other uh, voting rights that she couldn't win at. And I disagree that she couldn't win at that. I think she, 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 um, as I said before, is not a strong thinker on how to solve these problems because, of course, you don't know exactly, you don't know things you don't know. But if you are a leader and you are a person who understands that things must get done and you are a person who is results oriented, you go find somebody who can help you deal with these things. You you go talk to somebody and you go get help and you say, look, um, this is put on my desk. How do I fix this? How do I fix the border here? What can I do to fix the border and look strong for myself? That's something that she is incapable of doing. Again, voter rights situation. She, you know, he put her on the voter rights situation, which is more than some vice presidents get because vice presidency is not an office to really hold. You're not co-president, okay? You're, you're just there in case the president kicks the bucket or something happens to him. And a lot of vice presidents, you know, I, again, I'll go back to Lyndon Johnson. You know, they leave the Senate, they become vice president. They're bored out of their bleaked minds. They are bored out of their minds. And they are bored because, again, that's not their, they, they don't really get anything to do. You know, they don't get much to do. So, um, you know, other than go open some things, travel on behalf of the president for this, that, and the other thing, something trivial, uh, nothing that takes notice. I believe that Joe Biden was not setting Kamala up to fail. I believe that he was setting her up to be a success, to show her leadership skills, to say that, yes, I am capable of leadership and, yes, I can do this. And she failed at it because she thought that she should do it all alone instead of building a team to help her do these things. That's what the president does. The president can't do everything, but he builds a team to help him get things done. The things, the vision that he has to get things done. And this is why Kamala has not been a good vice president, because she doesn't know that that is simple it's not really simple but it you know it's something that as a person who is aspiring to be president she should know a person who is going to be a leader should know you build your team you build it you show strength you show decisiveness you show some kind of independence and for people to say that you know biden is, is like trying to keep kamala from from succeeding succeeding I don't believe that to be the truth. I really don't. I disagree that he's keeping her from, from truth. I think he, he's giving her the opportunity to shine. And she can't shine. I don't know if anybody has seen this, but um, <laughs> Kamala was in France. I think, I don't know what she was doing. In the meantime, oh. the Kyle Rittenhouse. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Wrong button. But, uh, you know, 
uh, and she's in France, and she's affecting this kind of weird French accent kind of thing. Like, she's weird. She's strange. She doesn't have people smarts. You know, she's not, I guess they call it emotional intelligence, but I, I like to call it, she's not, she doesn't have, um, well, yeah, she's not, she's not people smart. She's not emotionally intelligent. She doesn't know how to read the room. She thinks she has charm. She really doesn't have. She doesn't know how to comfortably be herself. And she's sitting here talking about the plan, the plan, in this ridiculous, embarrassing French accent. I wish I could find it. I had it up here. And uh, everyone's looking at this, you know, uh, across the world. And they're just in cringe. Like, oh, my God, what on earth are you doing? If you can't speak French, get yourself a damn interpreter, you stupid git. But she didn't do that. She didn't do that. Nobody comes into the White House knowing what to do. Nobody comes into the vice presidency knowing what to do. Nobody comes into anything knowing everything to do. But what you do learn to do, what you know to do, is a sign of your, your, your capability as you surround yourself with people who can help you be better, who can help you do things, who can help you get things done. And I'm sorry, but Kamala has not been any of She has not shown it. She has not shown it. She's shown that she can cackle. She shows that she can she, she can pinpoint some things by accident. You know, some points. She made the point about Virginia. Uh, whatever happens in Virginia reflects around the United States of America. I mean, she, she has something. No, I can't lie. She doesn't have anything. But anyways, um, she could have something. She could have something. If she would uh, show some humility. And the humility is, you know, okay, I don't know too much about the border. I haven't been to the border. I mean, she even when they called her out for not going to the border, she still, like, didn't go to the border. Maybe you should go to the border. Maybe you should go to the damn border and see for yourself how to best solve these problems. Take some people with you. Even Obama, who had absolutely no interest in the border at all, went to Arizona and looked at the border, you know, and, you know, asked some questions of his assistant. Um, and they, I, I think it was the Arizona governor at the time, I can't remember her name, told him something and he turns to, I forgot her name, and he, he asked her if it's true. She says, oh, yes, Mr. President, it is true. I mean, even he had something. He had no interest in the border at all. He had no intentions of doing anything about the border. He had no interest. And he made it clear that this was not something he was actually talking about. He thought that he, in his mind, in his opinion, he expressed in so many words that this was not a real issue to him. But he did go down to the border. He brought his team down to the border. I think it was Arizona or something. Because it was Arizona governor. I can't remember her name right now. Okay. But he did go. And again, you know, I can understand why Joe didn't go. I, I can understand why Joe doesn't go. But what do you have a vice president for if she doesn't go down to the border? 
Why hasn't she gone? And you know what troubles the American people and why she's not liked is she doesn't even understand why she should go. She doesn't understand why she should go down to the border. Why she should be talking to uh, Border Patrol. Why she should be seen and photographed talking to the people who are on the front lines here. That's why I call her the trophy vice president. She clicks all the boxes. You know, she's a woman. She's a woman of color. She was in the Senate. She has a, she has a law degree. You know, everybody in the Democratic Party. I don't know who she charmed or, you know, who you know, who uh, she knelt in front of. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But God knows, you know, that stuff is not translating to the American people. We still don't like her. We still think she's phony. She's cringe-worthy. She's worse cringe than Joe Biden was in his entire career. Joe Biden was also cringe his entire career. Uh, Robin Williams made a joke about uh, uh, Joe Biden and said even people with Tourette's, the things that come out of Biden's mouth, even people with Tourette's say, no, no. It's hilarious. I should bring it up there. But, you know, what are you going to do? And these are the people, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, who are running the country. And they don't like each other. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Anyways, that is uh, the end of this segment. If you have been with me this long, thank you for listening. I appreciate you and um, look forward to hearing from you on my email uh, and on um, Instagram. And don't forget to leave a voice message at the link below. You Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys go out and have a great day. Be blessed. You have just heard the Black Eye Podcast. If you would like to contact me, you can do so through Twitter at MHB1070, on Instagram at My1029, that's M-H-I-G-H-1029, excuse me, or on Patreon at theblackeyepodcast.com. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so through Stripe. Any donation helps me make better content and bring it to you. Thank you.